your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Two wideouts to the left. Mills in the backfield with Martinez. Adrian gets the snap, gives it off to Mills. Mills picked away. He's got 40, 45, 50, 45, 40, 35, 30. Tight rope the sideline, steps out of bounds inside the 30-yard line. Gadrick Mills has been a man today here in Lincoln. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Josh Hilkeman. Thank you. We're here. For another week of Sports Island, hope you had a good weekend. Lots happening, right? A lot of things popping around the sports world. Austin had a couple of those in the ticker, and let's start with one of those, and that's a final destination for the senior year of J.D. Spielman, who cracked Nebraska's top five at about every receiving category with his play the last three years, but he put out a social media post over the weekend and thanked Nebraska fans uh, for their abundance of support. I know you celebrated our wins beside us and felt, felt our losses just as much as we did. That loyalty in the sea of red runs deep. Um, he said it, you know, focusing on my mental health allows me to understand who I am, what my passions are, and what my purpose is. Football has taught me how to overcome obstacles and face adversity. And every day is a new opportunity, and thank you again to those who have supported me on my journey. I'm forever grateful. Lots of love and go Big Red. As he announces, Josh, that he's going to go to TCU. This was rumored a couple of weeks ago that he was going to go down there, and apparently Nebraska's helping him out to get eligible right away, which I don't know, Josh, if that had been the case if he had gone to the other place it was rumored, and that was Minnesota within the conference. Yeah, no, that's – you're right. Those are the, the two – schools that JD was rumored to be going to for a while and I think that most Husker fans would probably have hoped that he was going to choose TCU which he did because if he had gone to Minnesota and the Huskers had had to see him this year or next year whatever the case would have been whether he would have been eligible or not I that would have been that would have been really rough to see that you know you don't like to see somebody leave that's the quality of JD but you also don't want to see him leave to a school that you're going to play again the very next season so I I think that you know I this is kind of a nice clean break for the Husker football program and that's why they're able to you know help him try to get that year of eligibility but it's also a clean break I think for Husker fans as well you know it's not something where you have to worry necessarily about what he's going to do against your team and and all of that so obviously you know it it was hard to it was a hard thing to hear when JD said that he was going to leave because he's obviously been the most productive receiver um for the Huskers over the past few years um once Stanley Morgan left and that's that's hard to replace uh, the numbers anyway so um obviously that was tough to hear but I think that it's this is about as good of news as you can hear as far as his transfer destination yeah it would hurt wouldn't it to turn on the BTN highlight show after a Saturday full of football and go oh there's Spielman scoring again for whoever the Gophers or whoever it had been now you're going to kind of search for it a little bit I mean TCU is a good program but not a program that's just getting a ton of national attention right now so I think you wish him the best of luck there I remember and it was about 10 years ago that Nebraska lost another guy to the TCU program. That was Aaron Green, a pretty talented running back that came in the same time with, with Amir Abdullah, and he ended up going down to TCU and had a pretty good career with the Horn Frog. So this isn't the first yeah. time to, that Nebraska's had somebody go that direction. Yeah, no, that's true. Aaron Green, he is a little bit different because when he played for Nebraska, he really didn't do a whole lot. But then when he went to TCU, he kind of, it took him a little bit of time, but he kind of got a niche and he was part of some really good offenses down there with uh, Gary Patterson. And I, you know, I, I think that, um, it's it's different obviously because we know what Spielman can do he only has one year of eligibility left and he's had three terrific seasons here in Lincoln so I I think that I don't know which one hurts more you know the fact that you know Spielman was here for three years and did really well and then he has one more year left somewhere else or if it was Aaron Green and you saw the potential that he had and and then he went and and kind of lived up to that potential after he had left Lincoln. I don't know which one hurts more, but okay. it's you know that it is interesting. That's the second time that somebody of pretty high caliber has gone t- down to that TCU program. Well, it's uh, that's was one guy leaves, another guy comes in, and that's Marcus Buford over the weekend picked Nebraska to be 
a part of this program. He's listed, I think he maybe self-promotes himself, Josh, as the number one prep school player in the country. He's yep. Rivals list him as an athlete. I think he's going to be a defensive back, but this looks mm-hmm. like a pretty good get for Nebraska over the weekend, their 13th commitment to this class. Yeah, it's a really good commitment. Like you said, the number one prep athlete, so going to St. Thomas more. And I I think you're right. He is listed as an athlete on Rivals. He's a pretty, you know, versatile guy. But the way the Huskers see him, at least from what we've heard, is that he's going to be a defensive back. And he's, he's versatile in that way, too. He could be a safety. He could be a cornerback. He just... He's he's a really he's a guy that can do a lot of different things on a football field. Uh, you know some of the different things that I was reading about him, they call him very fluid. So you know if you're listed as an athlete, that means that you can do a lot of different things. And I you know whether it's on the offensive side of the ball or the defensive side of the ball, it looks like his fit's going to be on defense somewhere in that backfield. But Travis Fisher, who you talked to last week, he's you know he's got a I think he's got another good guy coming in, and that's that's good because the Huskers have seen. Um, a few of their commits from this last class uh, part ways before the season even started. Some guys that were going to be in that defensive backfield. So, yeah, adding adding bodies back there is always always key and crucial. And you want guys that can make plays. So, from what we've seen on, on film, and of course, you know, it's that's just what we've seen from his high school film. That he looks like he's a guy who can make plays. And you also look at the the different people that were on his the offer list, and there are some decent names on there. So, I think that. Yeah, it's a definitely a good good get and um, another good commit for the Husker program. He he's a guy from Chicago, but prepped a couple years in Dallas at Cedar Hill High School, which is a really dominant high school program down in the Metroplex of Dallas. But then he went to a prep school in Oakdale, Connecticut, before he's going to end up in Lincoln. So the Huskers add him to the room, and this happened, I believe. After what yet happened over the weekend, we weren't on the air with our Friday show because there were greatest games, but uh, Jaden Francois did put his name in the transfer portal, so Nebraska's losing a young defensive back out of that room for Travis Fisher, along with Henry Gray. So there's two of those guys that were pretty both, both pretty highly thought of that are not going to be a part of this program moving forward, and that's always disappointing, and they're both from that southern tip of Florida. kind of makes you wonder, is that an area that you want to re- you want to avoid moving down the road? Yeah, that's a good question, and I, I, you, you don't know all the reasons that those guys decided to leave, but you know, you kind of read some of the things on, on social media, and I, it, it seems like it's probably best that it happens now, rather, you know, and that seems kind of weird to say, but you'd rather have it happen before the season starts, and and you know, they get here and then they are part of a few games and then they decide to leave. You know, you, you almost almost would have rather had them not even get to campus in some ways, but um, you never want to see kids leave because that, you know, you think, well, what's what's wrong? But I think a lot of it is just personal, personal decisions. You don't know what's going on in these guys' lives. But going back to Buford, I think that he's he's a guy that can – you know, he can do a lot of different things, but the, the connection, he has a connection uh, with a current guy on the Husker roster and Alante Brown. He talked about him being originally from Chicago and Alante Brown and both of them are, and Buford are both originally from that Chicago area. So you talk about the different connections, you talk about the down in Miami, those guys, and then here's another connection and it's kind of a roundabout way, but um, it, it's recruiting is all about having those connections, whether it's with the guys on the coaching staff or current or guys that are coming in um in the recruiting class that's coming up so there's there's a lot of different ways that it can that it can shake out but i think overall it's a a good get for the huskers with buford and and like you said needed after the two guys leaving yeah you're sort of sudden you kind of felt like you kind of stockpiled that room and they have but you also need to kind of keep replenishing the pipeline this class is not devoid they did pick up a darius webb about oh three weeks ago the db out of jackson mississippi so there's already a couple at least one let's see yeah it's just he's the only other db in the class right now along with marcus buford uh, who picked nebraska over the weekend uh all right here's what we have coming up on the first hour of the program here tonight uh we're gonna sit down with eric shenander husker defensive coordinator Get his thoughts about this football team. Nebraska is currently in uh, a part of the calendar here where 
They can work eight hours a week with the student athletes. That ends on Friday. It goes up to 20 starting on Friday. Kind of an OTA, to use an NFL term. And so I'm sure coaches like Eric Chenin are certainly excited about the ability to get with this football team in a more detailed um, since starting on Friday after not having really much spring football practice at all. Uh, I think this is going to be something that we've had several guests, Josh, the last few weeks say they think once college coaches kind of do this, they're going to want to keep doing this down the road, having kind of a mini camp before you jump mm-hmm. into the full full practices in August. Well, you, every single year, you when, when you get to August, it's it's like getting hit with a fire hydrant because these coaches haven't been around hardly around uh, the players all summer long. You know, just a little bit like you talked about. But then all of a sudden, August, you start fall camp, and it's just your full go right away. And so this is a way to kind of ease into that a little bit. And I, I agree. I think that coach, once they get a feel for it, like you said, I think that they're going to want to keep doing it going forward. You know, I've heard different things of, well, that probably won't happen. It'll maybe just be a one-time thing, but I would be all for it. And I, you know, you, you don't know what the, the ins and outs of it are going to be. Maybe there are some, you know, d- some downsides to it that we don't know about yet, but I, on the surface, I think that it looks like a good thing. And I, I agree with you at, I, I think coaches are going to definitely want to keep doing it going forward in future years. Eric Chandler doesn't maintain a one position. He's just a defensive coordinator, so we wouldn't have him for just a typical position breakdown, but certainly lots to talk about with the Husker third-year defensive coordinator. Coach, great to have you with us here tonight. I know it's been an odd, unusual, strange last four months or so with this football team, but I know by the end of the week you're going to start getting a lot more time around these student-athletes as you prepare for this upcoming fall. How are you holding up with all this? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, nobody nobody wants the uncertainty that we've got going on here, but I'm going to kind of control what I can control, and I'm just really excited to get back out there and be able to work with the guys a little bit. It's been a long time since we've we've had a chance to do that, and I just like being around the guys, so I'm excited for that part. Um, I don't want – you know, the, the uncertainty and all the negative optimism out there, but I'm, I'm really excited to get back on the field and in the classroom. What, I mean, I know the strength staff has been around them now for a little while. What reports are you getting back? Did this, did these guys take it serious when they, they had the, the, the drought of being around the program? Did the guys keep themselves in good shape? All, all reports we've got back from the strength conditioning staff have been um, really, really good seems like the guys have a great attitude right now moving forward. Uh, they've been excited to get back and play football, and it seems like um, wherever they were at when, when they were here um, doing some stuff or if they were at home, it seems like they've, they've done a, a tremendous job of keeping themselves in shape and getting um, stronger, you know, not even just keeping themselves in, in shape but moving forward with their development. When these guys had so much time kind of on their own, uh, somebody has to organize that a little bit. Do you think do you think you identified some leaders for the defense during this this hiatus of the last three months? I do. I think there are some guys that were really stepping forward and, and you know organizing some some things on their own and, and you know keeping the guys on track. You know, I think in the back end, you know, DiCaprio Boodle has done a great job along with Deontay Williams, Markel Dismuke. Um, Obviously, Will Honus and, and Colin Miller in the middle have done a really good job. And then, you know, there's been some other guys. You know, Damian Jackson has been really good, um, as well as Ben Stilley and some of those other kind of older guys up front. But I think we've identified enough leaders to, to really do a good job this year. Let, let's kind of go in reverse order. Let's start with that group up front because that's where most of the questions are about this defense is how do you replace the Twins and Darian Daniels. You rotated quite a few players throughout last fall. That has to help a little bit knowing that a lot of guys got snaps at the Big Ten level. And you've added a lot of big bodies, some that were redshirting and some that are new to the program. Give me your, your feeling about that, that, that front three you're going to have for the fall. Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, all of our coaches have done a tremendous job with the guys from the end of last season until now. Um, but I think at that in the up front, you know, cautiously optimistic that those guys can, you know, play at the level that the, the Twins and, and Darian played at last year and maybe even um, more. You know, we have a really good young group and supplemented that with some junior college guys, and I'm really excited about that. And I think we have – 
like you said, we have seven or eight guys that can rotate um, right now. There's some length up front. There's some size up front. So I think we're we're finally getting to where we need to be to compete in the Big Ten, um, you know, with that size up front. But I really like the attitude of those guys. Um, I talked to them a little bit on the phone and on text and all in Zoom. So it's I really like where they're at, and I think that they really understand what we want to get done, and they're all those young bodies are ready to compete in this league. Speaking of competing, the competition to, for playing time up there ought to be pretty intense, shouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of guys competing for for spots. You know, guys that have been here, you know, the older guys so far is, you know, Ben Stilley, uh, you know, Damian Daniels, Deontay Thomas. Uh, you have a lot of guys. Then you have these this group of redshirt and or freshmen that have come in. You know, the Ty Robinson, the Tate Wildemans, Casey Rogers, Mosai Newsoms. And then you're talking about some junior college guys, you know, Keen Green was here in redshirt last year, Jordan Riley, and Feldarius Payne. So, I mean, you have a you have a, a really good group of guys up there that, that's going to be hard to get on the field. It's going to be interesting once we start camp and watch those guys compete. We're visiting again with Husker defensive coordinator Eric Chenander here on Sports Nightly. Let's go to the linebacker spot. Let's start on the inside because you mentioned Will Honus and Colin Miller. Pretty good spot to start. Those two guys... Uh, both seem like they have a hunger for football and a hunger for success, and it pains them when it doesn't go well. Your thoughts about the inside backer spot as you get ready to jump into this thing? Yeah, I really like, um, obviously, where where Will and, and Colin have elevated their game to. You know, those are both guys that are either Will was a, just started with us from junior college and Colin Miller was kind of playing a different position when we first got here, but those guys have really developed themselves over the last couple of years, uh, just their knowledge in football as well as their body and their leadership potential. So I like where they're at in that first group of inside linebackers. But that being said, those guys have a, a lot of work cut out for themselves to not only, you know, get that first spot, but keep that first spot. You have guys like uh, Nick Henrich and, and Luke Reimer right on their tails, and then there's a, a host of other guys competing at those jobs too. But I think that we're going to be able to be, you know, five or six deep there. You know, and you got some young guys coming in, Keyshawn Green and, and Ba. So uh, th- there's, a, there's a good depth at inside backer too, and I think we'll be able to rotate those guys a little bit. Let's bounce outside, uh, and, and uh, you know I think that you would even say that that's we got to get better at the outside backer spot than we've been the last couple of years. You've now injected a new coach in Mike Dawson, old coach, new coach, however you want to look at it. He's back on the staff. Your thoughts about Mike now running that group, and, and what potential do you see from that that group of guys? Well, obviously, I feel very very comfortable with Mike um, running that group. You know, me and him have been together. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles and Central Florida, and then obviously he came here with us for a year, and then we lost him back to the NFL again. But, um, you know, what he did with some of those guys last year, I think it was the the first time the New York Giants have had an outside backer have uh, double-digit sacks in in a long time. So I'm excited about what he's going to bring, not only the pass rush, but just teaching them how to play football uh, in general. That position, though, you know, he he's got he's got some work cut out for him and they've got some work cut out for themselves. Obviously that's the biggest question mark. You know, Jojo Doman can do some things on the outside and he's we use him in a lot of different different places throughout the defense. Um you know, Garrett Nelson's obviously coming back. You got a couple guys in uh Caleb Tanner and Javen Wright that have played some football for us but haven't been starters, so they have an opportunity to to compete and make an impact for that starting position. You know, we've kind of moved um Damian Jackson over there and he's he can he's got obviously a different skill set than a Do- JoJo Doman or a or a Javen Wright type player, but he's got an opportunity to make some uh make some big plays for us. At, at that position as well. And then, obviously, there's a couple junior college and freshmen, um, Blaze Gunnarsson, um, Nico Cooper, and Jamari Butler will we'll get in there. Um, and we haven't even mentioned Jamin Graham yet. So there, there's some there's a lot of good bodies in there. I'm excited to see what Coach uh, Dawson will mold those guys into and who will kind of rise to the top as we get through camp. 
Yeah, we're visiting with Husker Defensive Coordinator Eric Chenander here on Sports Nightly. You, you threw out the names of some of those key guys in the secondary who've played an awful lot of football for you in Boodle and, and, and DeMarkel Dismuke and Cam Taylor Britt. Uh, Deontay Williams was, a, I thought, a big loss when he got hurt week one a year ago. You didn't have him, but you do have him back this year. And you got a bevy of guys behind him. I, I think that may be as competitive a spot on this football team as there is with that, that defensive backfield spot. Yeah, you know, I really like uh, where we're at in, in the depth in that room. And I like that first group because th- that first group has really shown the willingness to not only, you know, help themselves, help the rest of the defense, but help that young group behind them. They're they're willing to hand that torch over. They're not going to give that torch up easily, but they're they're trying to groom those guys to take it. Um, and you you mentioned the the guys who are are known, you know, Cam Taylor, Britt, D, uh, Markel, um, DiCaprio, Boodle, and like you said, I had the same feeling as you did. I thought Deontay Williams was going to have a breakout year last year before his injury, and I think that this year he's got an opportunity to make make some big waves in, in this conference. Uh, you know, behind him, you obviously got guys like Quentin Newsom, uh, Miles Farmer, uh, Braxton Clark. There's, there's Noah Pola Gates. So you you got a ton of a ton of guys um, back there. And then you know, there's there's some some freshmen coming in. Um, Ronald Delance is is it working hard right now with that group? They tell me. Um, you know, you got you do you got Isaac Gifford coming in uh, from a hometown guy I'm excited about. And you've got a couple other a couple other young walk-on guys coming in that have been working hard. So I really like where that group's at. Coach, so many of your, your, your players, if they don't get a lot of snaps on defense, make a big impact on special teams. Do you feel like just because we've thrown out a bunch of names on this defensive side of the football, that maybe special teams by default will be better? Your cover units will be better because those are really good athletes that should be out there on special teams units. Uh, yeah, I think you're right, Greg, on that. Um, I think that a lot of those guys last year that were redshirting, you know, should this year either be competing for a starting job or being a backup and a starter in all the special teams. So really all those linebackers and DBs that we've mentioned, if they're not the starter, they should be the starter on, on four special teams. Obviously you got some offensive guys that'll, that'll um, compete for a starting job on special teams too. But my, my feeling is if you're not a starter, if you, even if you are a starter on, on defense, you should be on a couple special teams. If you're not, if you're the backup as a DB or a linebacker, you should be a core four player. Mm-hmm. Period. And I, and I think they've got kind of got that attitude right now that they want to be out there. They want to help the team. And I think that they know that uh, when you play really good on special teams, that kind of paves your way to get on the field more on defense in my eyes, in their position coach's eyes, and in Coach Frost's eyes. You know, the talk right now is, and this all could change, we know it all could change, but the talk right now is that you're looking at maybe a 10-game schedule, all conference games. That's going to be a physical, physical fight to get through that. We've been playing nine, we're going to go up to 10. That's where depth really could be a huge factor for you, right? Because you know you maybe have some guys that are going to have to play as the long season unfolds. Yeah, absolutely. I think that we all know that this this league is super physical, um, good competition week in and week out. And I think you're going to need, you know, you're going to need a good rotation, whether through injury or just, you know, getting fresh bodies in there. You're playing some of these teams that are going to run the ball and try to wear you out. You need to get some fresh bodies in there. And I think that we've finally got the point where we can we can roll some of these guys through and keep everybody fresh. Last year, I know it was tough at times. You you probably would have loved to have played a guy like Ty Robinson more than you did, but you were trying to protect that red shirt. Same thing with a couple of those guys in the defensive backfield. I know you're a big fan of the rule, uh, but and I'm sure you were very tempted some weeks ago. We need him. We need him. Put him in there. I don't care about. I don't care about saving a year. But there was some discipline shown by you and, and Coach Frost and the staff. And I just want to tell you, I, I noticed that. I think if people track it closely. They saw what you did, and you maybe sacrificed something here or there. But for, I think for the betterment of those kids and the program down the road, I think you guys did a great job of managing that a year ago. Well, I appreciate that, Greg. You're right. It's it's very tempting to want to put those guys in, and um, I try to sneak some in every week. But the staff the staff had meetings every week, and we discussed the plan and the plan that Coach Frost had laid out for us. And 
um, once once that plan was put into place, we, we we stuck by it, and the guys up in the box did a good job of letting me know who who I could put in and who I couldn't put in. And um, I think it ultimately will be better, you know, long run for the program. You know, it was it was tough short term, but I think. Coach Frost had a good plan and made a great decision. Yeah. Well, Coach, we appreciate the time as always. Let's uh, – I know you're going to start ramping up with more hours here later on and, and then eventually the camp, and hopefully we're all keeping our fingers crossed we get to see this this team compete this fall with Husker football. Once you get on the practice field, keep them healthy and let's, let's keep getting better as a team. Okay. Thanks, Greg. It's always great to be on with you. Tonight we do launch our preseason top – it's the Sports Nightly Preseason Top 25 tonight. Slovis in trouble this time. Steps back, scrambling. Fran Tarkenton style. Let's it go. Touchdown. Drake London, the other freshman. Number 25, USC Trojans. And we have the Trojans at number 25 and here to tell us all about USC, Antonio Morales from The Athletic. Antonio, thank you for being with us. Just give us an update. What's happening right now? Is the team doing the, the voluntary workouts? What what are they doing out at, at Southern Cal? Yeah, they've kind of broken it down into phases. There was phase one for athletes who, retur- who lived within an hour of USC's campus. So that started last month, then earlier this month it was returning student athletes and then uh, later like last week last monday it was athletes who weren't local and, and freshmen they, they so they all came back and now the whole team is back obviously california you can't work out inside of a gym so they've been doing voluntary workouts but they've been doing them outside on usc's practice field uh, so that's kind of the state of things right now. Obviously, the Pac-12 has uh, put a pause on when practices could actually start. So nobody knows when that's going to happen. But for now, USC is doing their voluntary workouts, and most of the athletes are back. Antonio, the the Pac-12, like the Big Ten, is going to go conference only. Is that schedule set yet, or are the teams still waiting for that? what that schedule is going to look like? The teams are still waiting for that. The the conference has said it will be – They'll announce that that schedule by July 31st at the latest. So uh, within the next week and a half or so, everybody should kind of know what the schedule looks like for, for, for each team. Yeah, same kind of with the Big Ten here for Nebraska as well. All right, uh, all the uncertainty, this is perfect for USC, right? I mean, because that's, that's what this program's kind of lived under the last year or two, with the uncertainty about Clay Helton. But he certainly tweaked that staff a little bit. Update me on what he did in the offseason to try to upgrade his, his coaching staff. Well, the defense had slipped a, a lot last year, and it was a really subpar performance, and I think that was highlighted down the stretch of the season, and you and you guys have seen Iowa. You know it's not a really prolific offensive team, but they manhandled USC, and they scored 49 points against USC in the Hall Day Bowl. And after that game, Clay Helton fired his defensive coordinator, Clancy Pendergast, and their search lasted about two or three weeks. Uh, they talked to some big-name guys, and they ended up getting Todd Orlando, the former uh, Texas Tech, uh, uh, the former Texas DC, who was fired at Texas. But he did have some success at Texas, even though it, it didn't end well. Um, he did have a, a lot. Of, he did do a lot of good things over there, and they just uh, overhauled the, the defensive staff considerably. Um, they hired a new defensive line coach, uh, two new secondary coaches, and Orlando's taking over at linebacker. So the defensive staff's all brand new. And there's plenty of talent on defense for USC. They return nine starters, I believe, on defense, and a lot of four and four and five star guys there. So it's a matter of just getting the most of that talent. Last year, it really wasn't a disciplined group. So it'll be Orlando's kind of task to get some more discipline and consistency out of, out of that defense. I know they didn't have a spring ball to go through, but is is he going to schematically change a lot of what they've done in the past? What is he a is he a four three three four guy? What is Orlando? I think he's usually a, a kind of a three down lineman, four four stand up guys um, type of front. Um, USC has Drake Jackson, who could who could be that outside linebacker type defensive end hybrid. 
Um, he'll, he's one of the best players on USC's defense. When he was just a freshman last year, he led the team in sacks and tackles for loss. So he has some talent to build around defensively and, you know, up front especially, uh, and in the secondary with Talano Hufunga, who's, who's a, a true playmaker at safety. Um, so there's some talent to work with. I, I expect they'll be aggressive um, just like they were last year. Um, but it'll look a little bit different with Todd, with Todd Orlando. Again, busy with Antonio Morales of The Athletic. We've got USC at number 25 in our preseason top 25. Let's go to offense. No quarterback controversy, right? Slovis is definitely the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think most people expected there to be a competition with Keaton Slovis and JT Daniels. I think most people thought JT Daniels. I don't think many people expected JT to win the job, but I think most people expected him to compete for it. And then maybe he'd transfer after the end of the season um, to, uh, uh, if Slovis started, because he would still have two years to play too. But obviously COVID-19 has changed the whole dynamic of the season and stuff like that. So he, he opted to transfer before the season started, and he's uh, at Georgia now with immediate eligibility, and that's left the door open for, for Keaton Slovis. I, I think the big concern, though, is Slovis got banged up quite a bit last year. He got knocked out of the Utah game early with a concussion, and he got knocked out of the bowl game with an uh, elbow strain. Uh, and USC only has two scholarship quarterbacks. So there, there's a bit of a concern there among USC's fans. Um, if Slovis can stay healthy behind offensive line, that hasn't been great in pass protection the past couple of years. And, I mean, there's only one other quarterback behind him. So um, there's some questions in terms of depth, but Slovis is a, is a, had a stellar freshman season last year and has a lot of promise. Sure did. Antonio, um, when I think of USC football, I think of tailback U. Just all those great running backs that they've had down through the year. So I did a double take when I looked up last year's numbers and saw SC was 118th in the country running the football. Can they be better? They're going to have to be better than that this year, aren't they? Yeah, I think they can be, but I think it's, it's going to depend a lot on health. Last year in the last month of the season, you saw Keaton Slovis's attempts go up, and that coincided with the top three running backs getting hurt all around the same time. They had Marquis Stepp, who was really coming into his own last year um, towards the middle of the season. And when it finally came, like, his turn to really take the take the group and take the most carries, he tore ankle ligaments and cut them out for the rest of the season. And the other running backs got banged up, and USC ended up having to play a true freshman, Keenan Christian, um, who – you know, they had planned a red shirt, but he got forced into the starting lineup and he's only like 185, 190 pounds. So mm-hmm. um, it was a lot to ask of him to kind of carry the load from week to week. Uh, so you saw Keaton Slovis's attempts go up and USC's rushing totals go down and it never really kind of balanced out after all those injuries. Well, Antonio, when we kind of broke down the pack, 12 South, we kind of saw it as a battle with USC, Arizona State. Handicap it for us. How do you see the race for the South playing out if we get to play football here in a few months? That's exactly how I see it. I know a lot of people will mention Utah, but Utah lost a lot from last year's team. They lost their best um, defensive lineman with Bradley and I, and they lost the heart of the offense with Zach Moss and, and Huntley at quarterback. Uh, so there's a lot to replace uh, for them. So USC returns 17 starters, and uh, there's eight on offense and nine on defense coming back. And Arizona State, they still have some skill players to replace, but I'm really, really high on Jaden Daniels. I think he's going to be really, really good. You saw what he did. Most of the people nationally saw what he did against Oregon last year in Arizona State beat Oregon. A lot of that had to do with Jaden Daniels, and that pretty much kept Oregon out of the playoff. And you know, so he has really big potential. Uh, he was hurt for the USC game last year, but um, it's interesting because he's from Southern California and starts for Arizona State. And Keaton Slovis grew up pretty close to Arizona State, but he starts for USC now. And uh, so it, it'll be an interesting matchup when the two teams play this year. I would. I would peg those two as the two best teams in in the South, but I would give the edge to USC just because they're a more experienced team overall. 
And as the schedule sat when we sat down to do this, that's a home game for the Trojans. I guess they could flip that. They could change it. But we'll just sit back and wait and see. Antonio, we certainly appreciate great insight on USC. Hopefully we, got to, hopefully we have some games for you to cover here in a couple months. Yeah, I hope so, too. And I hope the same for you guys as well in the Big Ten. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. All right, you too. Antonio Morales from The Athletic joining us on our Sports Alley Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. All right, Josh, what did you like about USC? What, what do you think tipped the scales for us to put them into our top 25? Well, as Antonio said, the big thing for them is their returning starters. They have a lot of depth, and if Slovis at quarterback stays healthy, then they're going to be pretty good. Because if you have a good quarterback, then you're going to do good things. I, you know, obviously, when we went through our top twenty-five, we were going under the assumption of what teams had as their schedules, and that's since changed. So I, you know there's some things that could go with that. But honestly, I think it might be in their benefit because you knew that they were going to play Alabama and that was probably going to be a loss. But I, you know, it, it kind of depends on what, what their schedule looks like. But I still think they have a really good shot to have a good season because like you said, in the Pac-12 South division, they're they're probably going to win that. I mean, it's probably between them and Arizona State and I would give them the nod over Arizona State. The one thing that concerns me about them, besides what Antonio mentioned, their depth at quarterback, um, after JT Daniels left for Georgia, I, I think that the only other thing that really concerns me is how much turnover they have had on their staff. Clay Helton's really really the only guy in at head coach position that's kind of stayed in the same spot. So I, that concerns me a little bit, but I think that they have so much talent, so much, so many returners at different positions, and it starts with Slovis at quarterback that I, they're poised to have a pretty good year. I poked at him about the running totals because I think we all grew up with USC just always having a great tailback. <laughs> But yep. but Graham Harrell, who came from that Texas Tech family of Mike Leach, he's their offensive coordinator. Well, they're going to sling the ball all over the place. But Leach's teams always ran the ball really well because they spread you out so much that they can hit that back up the seam. SC didn't seem to take advantage of that much last year. And again, Antonio helped answer that for us with all the injuries they had at running back. Yep. One thing I didn't ask him, and I probably should have, was they also hired Sean Snyder as their new special teams coordinator, who Nebraska had talked to about a special teams position here. It was bad for the Trojans last year. Sean Snyder worked magic for years at K-State with that. If he does that a couple, gets them to pop a big couple plays in special teams, that could be a big difference for them. Well, and that's something that we usually don't look at very closely when we do our top 25 rankings. We look at, you know, key positions on offense and defense and depth, and we look at their schedule and, you know, where they play different teams. We don't, you know, special teams is not really something that we dig into a lot and be like, well, this is going to be a difference maker here. But so many times it, it wins and loses games. And if and if you're in a position to win a game and you, you trot out a field goal kicker, and, and a lot of times it's just throughout the course of a game, big plays made on special teams one way or the other or just not losing a game on special teams, it can be it can be such a big deal. So you're right, that that's something that we, we don't really look at very closely and it could end up being a big deal for the Trojans this year. You know, they're going conference only. We kind of thought they would be an eight and four type team. Well, they lose Bama, yeah. they lose Notre Dame off the schedule. So I, those are two games we probably thought that they're going to lose those two. I mean, and they need to add one conference game in there, and they could give them, I don't know, they could give them, I don't know, I, I'm looking at their schedule. They could give them Washington State or something. They may really benefit by going conference only. I mean, they, they, they may just have discarded two of their losses. Right. And that, that means that they could end up being even better than what we project. Like if yep. there's a full season played, they could end up being top 20 instead of right, right around the top 25. So I, I think that they're going to be a, a good team. And they they had a decent year last year. They lost a few disappointing games. It started with, with losing against BYU in overtime in their third game of the season. And that was... That was, I think, disappointing for them. And if they had won that, things might have been different. But And the, obviously, uh, Antonio talked about some injuries that were a big part of last year, too. But I, I think uh, just looking at how much they have coming back and the, the benefits of having the conference-only schedule, there's no reason why they can't have a really good year. We talked about it earlier in the show. The Nebraska football picked up a commitment over the weekend from athlete Marcus Buford who is at a prep school this year and 
listed by a lot of publications as the best player at a prep school coming up this year in high school football. And the guy that we know can tell us all about that joins us now is Nate Klaus from HuskerOnline.com. Hello, Nate. Good to have you with us. I know you're a big... I was was all over the... The White Sox Cubs exhibition game last night. I was really excited to see some some actual live baseball on on TV, um, at, and I'll be at least. But um, yeah, I'm I'm fired up for for baseball to get started and to see how how my young White Sox team is gonna gonna look this year. There's a lot of young talent on that team. I think I read this afternoon that that, that thing broke all kinds of TV ratings records. It just an even an exhibition game. That shows you, I think, how starved everybody is to start watching something. So that, that's great. That gets going up later in the week. Well, uh, it was a good weekend for Nebraska football, right? Marcus Buford, tell me about this young man. Yeah, really good weekend uh, for the Huskers on the recruiting front. Uh, at a at a, a talented athlete, Marcus, like Marcus Buford, uh, six foot, 190 pounds. Um, you know, he's considered by most to be the number one rated uh, prep school athlete in the country. Uh, he's, and he's, it's interesting because he's originally from Chicago. He moved to uh, the, the Dallas Metroplex area for his junior and senior years, helped Trinity Christian High School there in Cedar Hill win state championships uh, as a junior and a senior um, but and had a number of offers but elected to go the prep school route much like his friend Alante Brown who uh, Husker fans obviously are, are somewhat familiar with who signed uh, with the Huskers uh, this past class in the 2020 class so um, you yeah, know and I think that he saw how Alante also had offers coming out of high school but um, really blew up going the prep school route well uh, I think the the whole uh, coronavirus, you know, this whole pandemic kind of changed his recruiting outlook. So he still had those offers on the table, and it was Eric Chenander and and uh, Travis Fisher, uh, along with most of the other staff, but especially those two that I think really were able to uh, to get him to to shut things down early. Um, he visited campus a week ago, just kind of on his own to see what the town was like, what campus was like, and. Uh, and I tell you what, Travis Fisher is going to be excited about him because he's somebody who I think could could play corner, nickel, or safety, be really versatile in the back end of that defense, just a really smart, uh, intelligent player and, and a playmaker overall. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you next because on the Rivals website you've got him listed as an athlete. So you think defensive secondary is probably where he gets plugged in. Yeah, I think the secondary is probably where he's going to play the the for the most part. But I tell you what, I mean, in in high school he's played quarterback, he's played wide receiver, uh, he's returned kicks. Uh, he can do a little bit of everything. He's got great ball skills, good speed, size, um, and he's a pretty dynamic player on both sides of the ball. I think defensively is probably where he will slot in for the most part, but. Uh, I know that he's talked with the coaches about you know, maybe having a role on offense or having a role on special teams as a return guy, too. Very good. Nate Klaus with us from Husker Online. All right, that's the 13th member of this class. Where does Nebraska sit nationally at this point in time as we're kind of in the midsummer part of this recruiting cycle? Yeah, things sit right now. They are ranked number 31 in the country with 13 commitments. Um, and, and there's really kind of a log jam between the the top 20 class in the country and the top, you know, where Nebraska's at, sitting at, at 31. Um, you know, a couple commits for any of those teams in that range could, could move them considerably. Uh, I think when you look at Nebraska's class, I think there are maybe a, a handful of commitments that – uh, in my opinion, are, are maybe a little underranked and could be in, in line for a, a, a bump up the rankings eventually. Uh, and so that's something that I do think uh, is going to eventually move Nebraska's class up, along with you know further additions. So there's a lot of big names out there for the Huskers, uh, most notably Thomas Fedoni, the, the tight end out of Council Bluffs, Lewis Central, that we've talked an awful lot about. Uh, you know, a commitment from a player like that could take Nebraska's class from number 31 in the country uh, probably all the way up to uh, a top 20 class or, or really close to it. So that kind of gives you an idea, though, I think, of, of just how tightly packed a lot of these teams are in that 20 to 30 range. Nate, we're getting late in the summer. Do you anticipate the commitments to slow or stop for a while, or do you think there's something still close on the horizon here for Nebraska football? 
Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting. I, I actually, I feel like things are going to continue to, to plug right along. I, I don't really anticipate there being a lull in recruiting activity or a lull in, in commitments. Um, you know, the with the NCAA extending that dead period through the end of August, I, I think that we're going to see um, players go ahead and, and continue to, to jump on some of the scholarships that are still available out there instead of kind of rolling the dice and, and maybe missing out on, on uh, you know, uh, having a spot at some of their top schools. Uh, a lot of players, like I mentioned, Marcus Buford, um, you know, are, are talking about taking unofficial visits to campus, even though they can't meet with the coaches and they can't necessarily, you know, take a tour of the stadium or the football facilities. Um, they can step foot on campus, drive around town, get a feel for what things are like and, kind of envision themselves being a student here. And, um, and I think we're going to continue to hear about recruits doing that just because there's so many unknowns right now uh, surrounding the visits and, and when, when things might open up. And I've talked with a lot of recruits that are, they're, they're pretty nervous about, you know, some of their top three or top five schools not having room by the time visits eventually open back up. So I do think that we're going to see, you know, maybe, maybe three or four more commitments before the season starts. And, and honestly, if that were to happen for Nebraska, that would mean that the Huskers would only have a couple spots remaining in the class. And when you look, when you kind of compare this year's class to last year's, I think they only have, they only had eight commitments at this point in time last year. And they're, they're sitting at 13 right now. Um, and considering they didn't have all their junior days, they didn't have spring game. Uh, they didn't have the Friday night lights camps and uh, the satellite camps and all that stuff. I, I think they're doing pretty well and plugging right along. Getting busy with Nate Klaus of Husker Online. Let's talk some high school football. Late last week, Iowa announced they're going to go ahead and go with high school football in the fall. Today, the state of Nebraska said we're go. August 10th, first practices for our fall sports. But in California, it came out today that they're going to push it back into the second semester to play their football. What impact is that going to have, do you think, on recruiting? Yeah, you know, that's going to be really interesting. I, I feel for the kids in California and in some of these other states where they're pushing fall sports back or, or completely canceling fall sports and are going to try to do them in the spring because, um, you know, there's while there's an awful lot of kids out there that already have offers and already well on the recruiting radar for a number of teams, there's also a lot of players out there that, that are kind of under the radar and maybe only have a couple offers from some very small schools, but, uh, you know, maybe they're late bloomers and, and they needed to be seen by a lot of coaches either in the spring or, or during the, during fall, um, you know, during their senior seasons. And so I, I think there's going to be a lot of players that may fall through the cracks, so to speak. Um, and so I, I think that it's going to pay to have a lot of connections in states that aren't playing this fall. Uh, to kind of get an idea of, of who some of those players might be. Um, you know, the the evaluations that the Huskers were able to do uh, from really from December through signing day of last year in states like California and some of these places where um, they aren't going to have football this fall, I think are, are going to prove to be uh, pretty valuable. Uh, and I think we've already seen, you know, Nebraska kind of move on, on a handful of guys that, that uh, may be somewhat under the radar. Uh, they've got a really nice commitment from a, a, an outside linebacker like Will Schweitzer, uh, who I think is, uh, you know, is going to end up being a really, really good pickup. But again, I, I feel for those kids who, who needed to be seen this spring and this fall uh, because by the time football is played next spring, these classes are essentially going to be signed, and, and I think there's going to be a number of guys kind of fall through, through the cracks. Nate, last thing, um, Jaden Francois has put his name into the transfer portal. This follows Henry Gray, who left a month or two ago. Any concern that some of those kids in South Florida, should that be an area Nebraska should continue to go after, or is the track record getting so negative that maybe they ought to steer somewhere else? What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think it's always a place where Nebraska should recruit um, and should have a presence there. I think uh, now it's unrealistic to to go ahead and expect every every you know, signee from South Florida or or anywhere uh, for that matter to to pan out or, or to stick it out. Uh, you know, all four or five years. Uh, obviously, it's it's not you know it's obviously it's less than ideal to have somebody transfer before they even go through fall camp of their freshman year. Uh, 
Um, but I think what what it probably ultimately is going to going to prove is that you know what it, it uh, you, you really have to try and and find the right type of kid out of South Florida or or, or wherever for that matter, whether it's Georgia or Texas, California. Um, you got to find the right types of kids that are they're mentally tough enough to to uh, and prepared to move from you know move halfway across the country to Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, you know, it's it's not for every kid. Um, you know, and, and while there's going to be cer- certain kids that are able to do it, uh, there's going to be other kids that that just aren't cut out for it. And, uh, and unfortunately, it might be uh, somewhat of a tough lesson for Nebraska to learn with a couple of guys like like Henry Gray and Jaden Francois. But I still think it's worth putting in the time and effort to recruit that area. It's such a hotbed of talent. Uh, and there's so many good players down there. Uh, it's just it's just crucial to, to to pick the right ones, if you will. Yeah, no doubt. Nate, we appreciate it. Good stuff as always. Uh, enjoy the rest of your summer. Let's keep our fingers crossed. We've got some college football coming our way here in six or seven weeks. Absolutely. I got mine crossed. Have a good one, Greg. All right, let's get into our weekend winners. Josh, lead us off. All right, I'm going to go with a current Husker baseball pitcher, Shea Shanneman. He's a sophomore who, uh, over the weekend, pitched a no-hitter in the Expedition yeah. League. He plays for the Hastings Sodbusters, threw no-hitter uh, over the weekend against um, the Western Nebraska Pioneers. So that he struck out 10 in the game, and had the, obviously no-hitter is impressive. And he's having a really good season um, for, for Hastings. He's got like a one ERA for the summer, and... Um, yeah, that, that impressive performance for Shanneman and a guy who's hopefully going to be a big part of Will Bolt's team going forward. Good for him. He had a rocky start, you remember, to the season where he was a closer, couldn't yep. couldn't close out the, I think it was the middle game of the Baylor series where Nebraska had a chance to win the series, and then the Friday night game in San Diego where he just had a rough outing. He started to kind of find it as the season wound down after 15 games, but I'm glad to see him having good luck. That's great. Yep. Right, Austin. All right, well, winner number one for me is the NBA bubble, 346 tests in a week, no positive. That's a big deal. It's a positive sign for all of us interested in sports getting back to action. I think that's a great sign. But the bigger winner of the weekend, my wonderful fiance, she had her nursing boards on Friday. She passed. She's now officially an RN. So I'm very proud of her for that. All her hard work paid off. Congratulations. Fantastic. That's great. And you probably helped quiz her at night, didn't you? You were laying (laughs) some... Every so often, I, I tried more not to be a detriment than to be a positive. So I knew very little in how to ask questions, but I just tried to stay out Fair of the enough. way for the most part, let her handle it. She's smarter. so Stay out of the way, <laughs> yep. right? I'll go hey, to the other room. <laughs> I'll watch something in the other room and leave, leave you be. I, I've, I've got two winners, too. One, I could every week I could say Patrick Mahomes is my winner and be okay, but uh, – <laughs> He he assisted in the Chris Jones signing. Chris Jones had a story with Adam Teicher of ESPN that said, Pat texted me and said, let's get this thing done. I left some money on the table. That's when I had the security that me and the Chiefs were going to work something out. So Patrick Mahomes got his deal, helped Chris Jones get his deal, keep moving that train down the track for the Chiefs. Love it. My, my other winner, watching Major League Baseball on TV again. That was my winner mm-hmm. for the weekend to watch the Yankees and the Mets Saturday night. The Cubs, the White Sox yesterday. I'm flipping on right now. The Royals are playing the Astros right now from McKay. It's here. Hallelujah. Let's go, Ooh. right? I'm so excited. So excited for Thursday and Friday, but obviously even even these games that don't even matter, I'm, I'm watching them and tuned into. So, yeah, let's go. Fantastic. Update for tomorrow night. We'll continue our position breakdowns. Greg Austin, offensive line coach, run game coordinator, will be here. It's a big group to talk about with that offensive line. It's Tuesday. That obviously means top 10 Tuesday. And we'll continue our top 25 countdown tomorrow night with team number 24. All that coming up tomorrow night here on the show. we got another hour of Sports Alley next.